Hey guys, just finished the talk. Now our group is going through all the table discussions. Uh, by the way, the link is down below of all the resources and homework that we're giving in case you're interested. Really think you'll enjoy this talk. It's about never compare. We really fight envy in today's culture. Anyways, I think you'll enjoy it. I'll stop wasting your time. Uh, here's the intro. we've decided at our church is we have five core values um, and we believe that it's our culture our values shape our decisions and our decisions shape our lives and so uh, you did homework this week about never compare and then you're going to be receiving another bulletin on your way out about uh, never give up and we're thinking man what are some things that could just emulate what do we want our church to be never stop learning is huge uh, it was really cool we had a funeral this week on Monday and what was a cool thing, don't you think, Dad, the kind of the defining part of Randy's life is even he retired a year and a half ago from ministry. But every time I saw him, he talked about another book that he was learning from. He talked about another pastors he's listening to. It's just so cool, right? Like I would love for us, like none of us truly retire. We're constantly learning from people younger than us and older than us. But I think Never Compare is huge. Here's a big reason why. We're talking a lot about culture. This is important for leadership. If you're leading an organization, and me and my wife are talking about leading our family, what kind of culture do we want in our family? This is John Maxwell. It is not a leadership talk if you don't quote John Maxwell, by the way. So here he is. John Maxwell says, people may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. People may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. And that's very much what we're trying to look at as leaders. What's the attitude we want newcomers to feel that we have when they walk in the door? Not only that though, you, those people you're trying to witness to, the biggest difference, they know what you're saying, but what do they feel when they're around you? So we're gonna look at that. So today's topic is never compare. Never compare is huge. Um, what is the one thing we think a lot of us, one big reason why it's big in this generation is social media, right? Social media has heightened this whole battle of envy and comparison more than any other generation. Here's some stats I saw just this week. It says, one in five teenagers admit to feeling worse about their own life as a result of what they see on social media. I think it's even higher than that, um, but, but that's 20% if you do the Queen Creek math. Uh, another stat it says rates of anxiety and depression in young people have risen 70 percent in the last 25 years i think i shared it was a, a stat that i shared in a sermon a long time ago it said that there's more pe people that the level of anxiety that teenagers have today would be the same level of anxiety that people had in insane asylums in the 50s i mean like we're just going through a lot and, and one, as leaders, we can just say, oh, the world, I can't believe you fall into that. Or as leaders, we can say, hey, let's rise above that and let's help other people realize that comparison's a trap. Uh, one more quote uh, stat. It says, people who use social media are 2.7 times more likely to fall into deep depression. 2.7 times more likely. Now, is our solution no more social media? I think for some of us, that is a great solution. You know, I just need to fast from it and move, move away. However, I think that's a huge mission field. You know, like literally this talk is gonna go on social media in a couple days. Like I think it's a huge opportunity. And so instead of just, maybe some of us need to cut it out, but what I'd love for us to look at is how can we live in the midst of this and not fall into that trap? Do you guys memorize Proverbs 14.30? Here's, here, I'm gonna prove it to you that I did. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. 
I think that's so powerful. It's all over Proverbs, this whole thing. So actually, the first thing that we talked about, it's in your bulletin. Here's what we expect every leader to do, and we're going to walk through that today. We expect every leader to discover and develop their spiritual gifts while genuinely rooting for everyone else's. I think it's powerful to have both, right? Both would be so powerful. Uh, Tim Keller, I think it's from, I, I had this quote saved. I think it's from the book you guys read. Do you guys enjoy that book, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness? I think it's incredible. Uh, here's, the, here's the quote. The way the Norman human ego tries to fill its emptiness and deal with discomfort is by comparing itself to other people all the time. Think about it. We're constantly comparing. Uh, Andy Stanley has a good quote. There is no win in comparison. Which you know, that's like my style, right? I like that quote. So there is no win in comparison. So the rest of this time, this rest, let's talk. I'm going to talk about there's two ways we fall into the trap of comparison. One, it has to pertain to our own unique calling in life. And the other, it has to deal with the colleagues around us. So our calling and our colleagues. Huh? All right, so first I want to look at chasing your calling. Here's point number one in that. If you're taking notes, hope you are. Great, great leaders cleave to their why and have no problem leaving their what. And for those who are younger than 50, cleave means to hold on to something super tight. Okay, cleave and leave. That's why I used it, but I'm moving on. So think about it. Here's a cool, crazy thing. Again, this is not just leadership for church, but I'm trying to help us with leadership altogether. Did you know 85% of the jobs that will exist in 2030 have not been created yet? I don't know how they know that stat. I kind of think it's kind of, but I kind of believe it. If you think about just the last 10 years, right? 80, so for those of you who are discontent with your job, there's hope, right? Maybe it just hasn't been created yet. Uh, so hold on to that. But think about it. I think a lot of us confuse our why with our what. For example, taxi drivers, okay? Some people, li listen, your why is not to be a taxi driver. That is your what. If you actually know some people, I know some people who are in the taxi industry and they do not like Uber, right? Now, the reason those people love taxi drivers is not because they have a fascination with yellow cars. Maybe, but that's kind of strange, right? The reason, maybe their why, is because they love meeting new people or they love making people's day. They love driving. They can't think of anything else. That's your why. Therefore, your what can change because what's happened and what we've noticed in the last five years, Uber does the same exact thing as taxi. It just has a different way of doing it, right? So some people are like, no, I'm a taxi driver. Well, they're really losing out on money now. If they jumped on the Uber bandwagon, it would have been better. A lot of us confuse our why with our what. No, my existence is taxi. No, 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 your existence is moving people. And yesterday that meant taxi, but today that meant Uber. So be cool with that changing. I think a lot of us have crisis with our calling because we're thinking the what is our why. I think that's huge in church world, right? It's like, oh no, but this music, no, no, no. Our why was glorifying God and making sure we're trying to bring as many people to the throne every single Sunday. It used to be an organ, that was our what. But don't hold on to the what, the why. You know what I'm saying? The what constantly changes and I think that really gives us. So did you guys watch the Simon Singh video? Start with why. I hope you guys try to come up with your own purpose statements. Here's mine, here's my why. I wake up every day to inspire and inform others that Jesus is better. So here's what I do. I love inspiring people and informing them. I think my 
gift in life is to be passionate, but also kind of have information tagged along with it. And what do I want it to be all about? Jesus is better. So here's what this means for my life. In this current season, that means the what is a pastor. As a church planter, that's my what. However, eventually, I will need to hand the reins off to somebody younger than me. Will I now, when I retire, will I lose my existence? Will I lose my why? No. I just, as an older man, will learn new ways to inspire and inform other people that Jesus is better. The what can change. It's my why that I'm holding on to that can survive any time and season. If my voice goes out and I can never speak again, I can still find ways to live out my why. If I think preaching is my why, I'm in big trouble. A lot of us attach. You guys see that? So your calling is something so much deeper than your what. I wrote this down. I feel like a lot of us, and I, I, I think that's why I asked you guys, what are some things that you're burdened about, right? Because that's really a big part of why you see your why. For me, I'm burdened for people who just don't see that Jesus really is better than everything else this world has to offer. So that's, that's my why. For some people, it's human trafficking, whatever. So, so here's a little quote. It's not going to be on the screen, but maybe you'll like it. You find out your why by figuring out what makes you cry. Think about it. You find your why by what makes you cry. What are some things you are so passionate about? What are some things that keeps you up at night? That right there is something for you to pursue. Now, if you listen to Louis Giglio talk, this doesn't mean you have to quit your current job. You just have to bring your current job into your why. You know what I'm saying? And really kind of tailor it and realize I can still, like his example, be a NASCAR driver and still bring glory to God. So, so that's really, really big. But I need to keep moving because of time and I want you guys to talk. Here's the next point. Great leaders know their how, and they do something about it right now. This one's big. I think for us, we're like, okay, I know what I want to do, but I don't know how to do it, right? I don't know what... The, I love it. Um, the Spiritual Gifts is actually in your uh, reading. And uh, Craig Rochelle calls it the apple pie analogy. I think it's incredible. So, if I were to take an apple pie right now, and I were to drop it right in front of you guys, what would you do? This will actually show you how God has wired your how. Some of you, you immediately get up and clean it. You are a servant. You just want to serve. You want to stack chairs. You want to tear down. You want to set up all those things. That is your how. Others of you, you want to buy them a new pie. You immediately think, where's the closest store to get them a pie? You are a giver. That's how God has gifted you. Some of you, you organize what everyone needs to do. <laughs> you go here, you get that over there, you're a leader. Leadership, shepherding is your calling. Some of you will laugh and throw it on your own lap as well, right? You're an encourager, you're a counselor, you love just getting in the mud with everybody else. Some of you feel so bad and you hurt for them. You think about what they're feeling right now. Your gift is empathy, it's kindness. It's caring for them in very practical ways. Some of you say that there's a better way to eat that apple pie. In fact, the Hebrew word for apple pie is you're a teacher, okay? And so you constantly think, let me just use this moment to talk about how you were holding that pie the wrong way in the first place, and that's why you're in the disaster you're in. It was too hot. You need to wait five more minutes before you grab it, okay? Some of you would say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. You're a prophet, you know? And so you love speaking truth. Think about it though, what is your how? With your apple pie, what is the how that God has wired you with? Um, now, with that, how are you using your how right now? One of the hardest, biggest struggles for me is I, I think so many people, we want to be leaders, but leaders are defined by doing it. 
and they don't wait. They, they see a need and they meet it immediately. The only way to develop, the only way to discover and develop your gifts is to use those gifts and God will give it to you. I tell my story all the time. I was a chief chair stacker. I asked God, give me my spiritual gifts, but I didn't say okay for a year. I was saying, God, please reveal my spiritual gifts. Until then, I'm not going to do anything for the church. No. I, as a 12-year-old boy, I, just, I developed callus for the first time, right? It was the chair life. I was the guy. And I loved it. And I knew that God would eventually give me more, but I knew what I saw now, and I did what was right in front of me. So, um, great leaders know their how, and they do something about it right now. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. If you're taking notes, just jot that down. I'm not going to be able to read it. But it's a parable. God gave, uh, it's a parable of this man. He gave one man five bags of gold, another man two bags of gold, another man one. If you remember the illustration, what happened is the one with five invested in it and actually got ten. The one with two invested and got four. What did the guy with one bag of gold do? He buried it. He didn't use what was already given him. He didn't use what he already had in his hands. Annie Stanley put it this way, and I thought it was pretty clever. It's not what you have, but it's what you do with what you have. So don't be like, God, you haven't given me this. No, 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 no. God's not going to judge. He's only, like, it's not because that guy has five, you have one. No, no. All he's expecting you to do is to use that one and double it. He's expecting the guy with five to double the, the other five. You know, that's more stress if you have five. It's kind of nice having one. So use what you have. Um, when God, when he judges us, it's not about what you have, it's about what you do with what you have. Sometimes maybe God has given you gifts and you're like, God, why won't you give me more? You haven't used what he's given you now. Now, what's next? So I think in comparison, the big thing is like, okay, God has a better calling for them. No, no, no. What is your why and what is your how? The what will change, but focus on that and pursue that. And I hope you guys will talk about it in the tables about your own personal whys. I think it's so important in business world, family life, church world, all that kind of stuff. But here's the next part, cheering for your colleagues. This one is huge. I love this. I, I think it's such a heart indicator of what's going on inside. Here, let me just say, this is a gospel issue, right? I think as Christian leaders, we can rise above everybody else because we are believing that God will take care of us. Here's what great leaders do. Great leaders believe that God will give us all that we need. I heard uh, a pastor, Matt Adair, he invested in me a couple years ago. He told me, Trey, always remember this, your church God has given your church absolutely everything you need for this season. I like that. Because we're constantly thinking, God, what, what, man, I can't make it. No, 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 no. God is, God is expecting you to move on to this next season. He's given you everything you need to do that. And I think that's the same for your family. That's the same for your own personal calling. God has given you absolutely everything you need, so you walk in it. Uh, Pastor Tyler Johnson, uh, he's over in Gilbert. He, he called it like this. I think it's really good. He said, as Christians, as leaders, we have two thoughts. Either we believe in the liturgy, that's a big <laughs> four-cylinder word, uh, the liturgy of abundance versus the myth of scarcity. What do you mean by that? Liturgy is like a consistent, right? God is the God that you serve and believe and love. Do you believe he's a God of abundance or a God of scarcity? In other words, if somebody else gets something, does, do you now think you cannot get that? because God only had one of those, that's not great leadership. A great leader rejoices in their colleagues doing well because they know it's taking nothing from them. 
There's, there's more than enough to go around. I love the passage where uh, David says, God, you own the, the cattle on a thousand hills. Another pastor, I think it's Spurgeon, he added, and he also owns the hills. Right? He owns it all. So, like for me, just personal uh, application, when I hear of a church plant that is having more baptisms, that are doing well just down the road, I am wiring my heart. This isn't natural for me. I say, praise God. Thank you for that. I love that church. Right on. They're preaching the gospel. I'm so happy for them. <laughs> my life's terrible, but I'm so happy for them, right? That is actually what we need to do because we're saying that with a God of abundance mindset, if they're doing well, that means God is on the move, and I think we're going to be next. You know what I'm saying? Why not? Um, we have absolutely everything we need for this season. That enables us to cheer for others. Here's the next one. Here's my big prayer for all of us, that God won't give you success until you genuinely root for someone else's. To really develop your heart and to develop your character in His grace, God doesn't give you everything you're asking for because he's working on your character. Robert Morrison, he's a missionary in China, he wrote this. He said, the great fault in our missions is that no one likes to be second. You don't have to be the number one guy to make a difference. A lot of us were constantly caught up in, I need to be the one. I need others, I need to be better than my colleagues. We will do so much for the kingdom of God when we don't care who gets the credit. In fact, we, I think great leaders, when we have success, we, we, we give more credit to those around us than they deserve. And when we fail, we give more credit to ourselves than we deserve. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, Isn't everything you have and everything you are, a sheer, uh, everything you are, sheer gifts from God? So what's the point of all this comparing and competing? If everything from God's a gift, why are we trying to compare with each other? Why are we trying to compete? Let's compliment and let's run with the kingdom of God together. Romans 12, 6, it says, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be somebody we're not. Oh, yeah, so good. Can you imagine how much energy we're wasting on trying to be somebody else? Um, I also like this leadership quote. I don't remember who said it, but I wrote it in my like notes app. Just because you're on third doesn't mean you hit a triple. In other words, we have to realize we're not the number one, we're number two. Sometimes we're in positions and God gives us so much success. It actually wasn't you that got you there. It was all the people ahead of you that gave you that moment, right? And so as Christians, we're constantly cheering other people on because we know we didn't earn how we got here either. And so God is a God of abundance. He's given us these great opportunities. So we're just trying to use it for the glory of God. Here's a really, really big one. Great leaders don't feel the need to tear someone down in order to lift someone else up. We talked about it uh, two weeks ago, right? Comparisons aren't compliments. Just be like, man, I've really noticed, even since I talked about it a couple weeks ago, any compliment I've received, it's always saying, you're better than that person, or actually I've had the exact opposite lately, but let's not go into that. Uh, man, you're terrible, but I'm, I'm over it. Um, but, but if you think about it, that is, why do we have this incessant need of in order to lift you up, I have to tear you down? There is enough lifting up to go around. We don't have to tear anybody down. Even if that person deserved to be torn down, why is that your job? That person, you don't know his background. You don't know what he's been through. So instead, and honestly, I think it takes a big hardwiring in our brain, how can I compliment this person without comparing them to anybody else? 
I think that's huge and that, that's really big. So, so when we're, and, and, and I'm done, but when we're so content in who God has called us to be, we discover and develop our spiritual gifts. We are honestly able, once we know our why and we're, we're, we're thankful for the how, we have the ability to change the what consistently. And we also have the joy because God is abundant where we root other people on because it doesn't take anything away from us. And that I truly believe, my view is that can only, that kind of attitude is a gospel attitude, right? That only Jesus can genuinely give. And what a great opportunity as a church. How cool would that be if people are around and they're like, you know what's incredible? This whole world is envious and prideful and they always compare, but you guys never compare. And that's the goal that we have.